Good morning. morning. Continuing in our series on family worship. So, today we're going to be looking at two texts, Genesis 18 and Deuteronomy 6. Um, As we think about how God would have us organize our lives, um, what to do, um, the idea of the means that God uses. um, And it's interesting, looking here this week at... uh, a series that's been going over means, uh, specifically the different things involving the faith that God uses as means. Um, So the idea of means is what God has said, or where God has said He chooses to work. Um, So when we say means, uh, we're not putting forth an idea that, okay, if I do X, Y, and Z, I'll automatically get A, B, C. So that's not what we're saying. We're not making it kind of like a a lottery ticket. We're not making it a tarot card. Um, But understand, God has been clear and said that there are ways that He wants us to act, things that He wants us to do, and those uh, can be used as conduits of blessing. So I want you to consider it that way, the idea of a conduit of blessing. So what are the means that God has put in our lives? What are the ways that we can live, the things that we can do? How can we organize our life? What can we choose on a daily basis to prepare our hearts to receive a blessing from the Lord? Does that make sense? So what are the means? Um, I've said this before. I said it in the prayer a while ago. I'm thankful God's not vague. I'm thankful God is not this mysterious, we got to find Him out kind of thing that a lot of religions have. I'm thankful that the Lord understands my frailty, my weakness, and has spelled out (laughs) all that I need for life and godliness in His Word. And that's one thing as a church that we stand on and we ask every member to support is the sufficiency of Scripture for all of life and godliness. We can look to God's Word. We can say, thus saith the Lord, God has said. And so we have somewhere to stand firmly on. Thankfully, we're not standing on the emotions of men, or the fears of men, or the dreams of men, or the inclinations of our own hearts. But we stand firmly on the Word of God. So, that being said, what are the means that God has used? So, as we look back from the cultural mandate that Pastor Joyner talked about last week, the, the mandate was put forth to Adam and Eve, be fruitful, fill the earth, multiply, and subdue it. So as a reflection of God's character, we are to, in glorifying Him, emulate an idea of dominion. It's called the dominion mandate. We're called to organize our lives in such a way. So we talked about catechisms. The Westminster Shorter Catechism. What is the chief end of man? Go. To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. He has not left us vague on how to do that. So... What are the means by which we can do that? Um, So if you will turn to Genesis 18. We look at the two texts I said we're looking at is Genesis 18 and Deuteronomy 6. So we'll start with Genesis 18. We'll read verse 16 through 21. Then the men set out from there, and they looked down toward Sodom. 
And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. What was that promise? Go ahead. Don't be shy. What was the promise? Kids, jump in. Young, young adults, jump in. What was the promise to Abraham? Yes. He would make him a great and mighty nation. God would, God would, through Abraham, produce his people. Abraham would be our father. Many, many sons has father Abraham. Remember that? So, how is God going to do that? How is God going to fill that, that promise? So, you look at verse 19. For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him. So, look at those words. Command his children, what he's got right here, and his household after him. And I would argue for the understanding of that's pointing to grandchildren or great-grandchildren. So when it says his household after him, I don't think that just means just his local household. I believe that's summed up in commanding his children and his household after him. It does include his household. It's not less, but I think it's more than just his peripheral. I believe it extends on. If you look at Abraham and the way they viewed people back then, Abraham, before he died, was in charge of many, many cattle, many, many sheep, many servants. He had many, what was it, 300 mighty men? He sent out, was it 300? Yeah, 300 mighty men. So if you consider what Abraham was in charge of, he set his household, his, his, command, his uh, means by which he was to glorify God, was to command his children and his household after him. Now, what were they to do? To keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. So, consider the context of where this passage is sitting. It is in the midst of the judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, Sodom and Gomorrah is set up as an archetype or as a, an example for us to look at and refer to. Now, just off the top of your head, you think our nation is better or worse than Sodom right now? It's debatable. Okay, debatable, yeah. Now, admittedly, so admittedly, when we're looking at Sodom and Gomorrah, we're looking at cities in a valley. So the, the fire and sulfur rain down, you're, you're isolated. And as we talk about cultures, I want you to have the idea and the context. So we talk about our nation a lot. It's not typical in mankind experience to think on such a vast scale as a large group. So typically we think locally, more on tribes. So as we look to what your culture is and what God's called you to influence, I would actually point you a little bit narrower on your influence and grow out from there. So you look at our nation. Now, you might shrink it down because if you, if you compare the size of Texas to many other countries, Texas is about the same size as a lot of countries. 
So when we think of America, it's hard to grasp. It's, it's, it's an interesting thing about the melting pot that is America is we have so many cultures and so much going on. But when we look at Sodom, that was a smaller, isolated area that was to serve as an example of judgment. And in the midst of that judgment, God brings forth this charge to Abraham that he is to command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that he may bring to him what he has promised, that promise of the, f- the fulfillment ultimately in Christ. So, can you, so think about your command as we look at family worship. The starting point, the springboard, is family worship. The teaching, men, ordering your household leading your wives and your children and those that the Lord has put in your life. That's the starting point. That's not the stopping point. The culture of your household. So if you consider for a second, you could, you could faithfully teach every night for 20 minutes on the Bible and still raise a household of heathens. You could live your own lie you could just, I mean, we've seen it example after example. I can go to church every single Sunday for the rest of my life and still be a negative impact on my culture. Because it's not just about a small slice of my time. It's not just about 20 minutes. Now, I'm not trying to diminish family worship. That's where we want to start. But don't, don't look at that as the end result. Look at it as the changing of a culture. The, the mandate for Abraham was not just family worship. The mandate for Abraham was to organize his children and his household after him. And that was the starting point for where he would shape his culture. So, keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. Question. As we organize our lives, can we pray the Lord's Prayer? And you say, sure, I can pray the Lord's Prayer. Most of us have it memorized. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. I want you to connect that to the dominion mandate. It's convicting to me. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Have I organized my house to be a kingdom building house or have I just pulled out my pinch of incense my my little tithe thrown that down and said I'm done because that's the danger that we will fall into can you pray the Lord's prayer Have you organized your life underneath the dominion mandate in such a way that you can honestly say, your kingdom come, your will be done? Because that's the the hypocrisy that I live in. When I pray that prayer, but give no thought to organizing my family that way. So, can you pray the Lord's Prayer? Abraham was to command his children and his household after him, keep the way of the Lord. Are you a son of Abraham? This, uh, connect these two. I don't know if you've ever connected that household after him. You're in there. 
<laughs> You're in there. That's why I brought the song. Because little kids, we teach it to little kids, but we don't grasp the full depth of theology of many sons as Father Abraham. Abraham's job was to set up a direction that we fall under. Abraham's job, his calling, was to set up a household. And I want you to think about the depth. of. So in America, we're not... So in America, 100 years is a long time. So we're kind of... So we go... We, Europeans come over here, and to them, 100 miles is a long way. To us, 100 years is a long time. But if you consider the centuries upon centuries of household that has been going on through the faith of Abraham, the sons of faith. We are in that household. That's what we're called to live under. That's the problem with the disconnection that people have made between the New Testament and the Old Testament, is we have, we have taken the song, Father Abraham has many sons, and we've sung that and enjoyed that, but we never reached back and grabbed Genesis 18 and said, that's what I'm supposed to do. That's my calling. As a son of Abraham... To organize my household, my children, in righteousness and truth, and to follow the way of the Lord. Can you pray the Lord's Prayer? Do you see yourself in Romans 4 and Genesis 18? What are the meanings of glorifying and enjoying God? What are the means of glorifying and enjoying God? Don't disconnect the idea of those means from where God has placed you right here, right now. It took me years, years, and I'm still trying to figure out, Lord, why did you put me in the culture you put me in? I always felt like I stuck out like a sore thumb. And it was one of those weird deals where I always pushed against and wanted to just, I wanted to go to Montana. There was something intriguing about going there. And after 43 years... I'm back in Hill County, Texas, looking at the same dirt that was here when I left, still trying to figure out, Lord, what was I doing when all that time I was looking out there for something else? God had put me in a place, had set me, had given me a family, and my calling was to take that family and to teach them and lead them in the way of God in righteousness and truth. So consider where you're at today. Look around you. Um, we have the idea and it's the excitement of going to foreign places. We have the idea of going somewhere else. But I would tell you, God has put you right here today. You're not promised tomorrow. Look to the people beside you. Those are the places. And what are the means that God uses? Family worship. So, Flip over to Deuteronomy 6. We, have, we see the command in Genesis 18. Flip to the right and let's go to Deuteronomy 6. Now, the question was asked last week, what is culture? What is culture? So as you think about culture, this is what I was alluding to earlier. I have a bad habit of jumping ahead of myself. I want you to consider your local culture and what you're involved in. Um, 
As you consider what culture is, culture is a societal set of norms and values that are generally agreed upon. So if you, 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 can, you can take culture in layers as an onion. The interesting thing is I have a much different culture than many of the people I go to church with just because I'm in Southeast Hill County. The culture down there is different than it is in Johnson County. The culture is, is like an onion. There's societal norms. Uh, don't, don't eat with your elbows on the table. That's the way I was raised, and I'm still doing that to my kids. You take your hat off when you sit down at the table. You're indoors. Take your hat off. That's part of my culture. It's the societal norms and values that we have. Unfortunately, in the South, we're ingrained in a culture that is very much influenced by the Bible, but very much devoid of God in many places. And so there's this layer that many people live in, in the onion, where it's this outer layer that they think they're inside of a godly culture, but three layers in, their culture is just sinful as can be. So if you consider the layers of culture, I want you to ask yourself about the influence of the culture. And this is what I've fought against for many years, was where do I fit in in my culture, what am I called to influence, and where do I start? I always wanted to be something that I wasn't. God has put me here for a reason. Ten commandments, where are they? Culturally. They used to be on the courthouses. Remember that fight? And you know where else I always saw them? Right on the wall beside Grandpa's chair. If you are anywhere near raised, I bet your parents had one. Yep. Brownwood, Texas. Culture. We are living off the capital of a biblical and godly culture that went before us, but is basically gone. Realize that. The vagueness of what you see left is just the remnants of actual faith. So the Ten Commandments. At one time, our forefathers were so bold enough as to take the law of God. Now, here's the interesting point. The reason why I bring up the Ten Commandments, we're in Deuteronomy 6. You know what Deuteronomy 5 is? The Ten Commandments. We were in a culture where the Ten Commandments was unashamedly put forth in front of justice, in front of Lady Justice, and said, here is the standard. It was put on my grandparents' wall. And to my shame, I hadn't thought about putting it back up. As I was studying for this, I thought, you know what? Why in the world? I mean, it's part of the Shorter Catechism. You learn the Ten Commandments. Why in the world don't I have them hanging on my wall? There's my lesson. Um, So, culture. How come no transfer? How come there's been no transfer? Does anybody know the short scriptural answer for that? There's one passage I think about every time I ask this. So I always, always wondered, how did the greatest generation, so if you understand the World War II generation has been called the greatest generation, how did they produce the baby boomers? Because the difference between my grandmother and my mother are so stark. It's literally, it's, it's literally the difference between corningware and a microwave. They're two different things. Two different ideas, two different ways of cooking. Two, I don't know what happened. It's weird to see some of the shift. And I've also always wondered, how did the baby boomers get produced by the greatest generation? Because you see a spirit of rebellion. I mean, the 60s should not be looked on that favorably. Some of it, yes. But for the most part, no. How did that get produced by... I mean, I asked myself. I've told you all this story before. I found out my grandfather was a deacon the night before I preached his funeral. That's how it happened. Judges 2.10. There arose a generation that did not know the Lord or the things of the Lord. Judges teaches us the cycle that happens. And if we think we're void of that, 
we're fooling ourselves. There arose a generation that did not know the Lord or the things of the Lord. I ask you, where did the breakdown happen? Anybody feel free. This is, a, this is not a rhetorical question. Feel free to answer me. Where, hmm? go, go smaller. Go smaller. Nope. Men. Men. Let's look each other in the eye right now. <laughs> Men. We didn't do it. My grandpa didn't do it. Am I going to do it? Men. We didn't do it. Christian. You're in a good situation. I can tell you right now, do your job. And I know what to tell you to do. I wish I had a man doing that for me. The, Lord, the grace of the Lord has been immensely, immensely more than I've ever deserved. But I still, it would have been good. Despite our past failures and things that have gone wrong, I can say it would have been good had a man pointed me in the ways of the Lord. There will arise a generation that does not know the Lord or the things of the Lord if the men are not acting like men and leading their families. If they are not fulfilling the Abrahamic covenant of setting their household in order by teaching them the ways of the Lord in righteousness and truth. So, cultures. You are put in a specific culture. Here's the downside to that. You are not called to just grab cultures and put them on you. You are called to influence whatever redeemable cultures there are. I make that caveat, I say redeemable cultures, because there are some cultures that are not redeemable. There are some things of a culture that are not redeemable. Those must be rejected. Now, there are parts of culture that are redeemable and should, that is territory that should be taken for Christ... When you look at culture, do you look at that as territory that should be confiscated for the Lordship of Christ or destroyed in the name of Christ? Because that's what we should be doing. So, boots, I would say, argue are redeemable. That's a culture thing. That's, I, would, I would say good manners is a redeemable cultural aspect. And insofar as I take on that culture, and insofar as I'm born in that culture, and accept that culture, and try to glorify God in that culture, I am called to shape that culture for the glory of Christ. Now, there are parts of culture that are not glorifying to Christ that we are called to shape and mold. Are you doing that in your household? So, Texas pride. That's part of my culture. It's a dangerous aspect of my culture. Balance that one. If you ask the Idahoans we were around for three years, they would have had no doubt where we were from. I will be honest. I love Texas. I do. As, a, as that, I'm called to conform that love to the image of Christ. So... How do I shape that in my children? So, look at Deuteronomy 6. I'm going to make this fast because we're running out of time. Let's read 1 through 9.
Now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it. Now, they were entering a different culture. That you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son, and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life. And that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. That's why I would argue that my grandparents did a good thing by putting the Ten Commandments on the wall. That's part of the culture that I'm willing to receive and pass on. So, as you are called to be culture shapers, the means, one of the means by which God will use you to shape your culture, men and women, is by using His Word and soaking yourself in it, saturating yourself in it. Uh, first full-time job was at Schlosky's. Mustard doesn't come out. Mustard does not, it, no, it just won't. The prep area was just, you were going to smell and your shirt was going to be mustard. How much more should the Word of God be saturating our lives? How much more should we be soaked in that? Consider, your full-time job is first and foremost to be saturated. And then let everything else follow. It's, it's, it's the Matthew 6 passage. Do not be anxious about tomorrow. What you will wear, what you will eat, what you will drink. For the Lord knows you need all these things. Even the Gentiles run after them. Trust in the Lord. Seek His kingdom. Kingdom. We're kingdom builders. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. Then all else will be given. And I'm, I'm telling you this from a guy who's right now doesn't have a job doesn't have a house, and am struggling greatly with it. It is, where, it is a test of my faith right now. But at the end of the day, I have to preach to myself, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. That should look no different to you than what we just read in Deuteronomy 18. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all else will be given. So, How have you set your house up? This is the question. Are you building a godly culture? Are you taking the culture that God put you in, identifying the redeemable values of it, and conforming those more to Christ? Are you finding the aspects of your culture that you were put in that are not redeemable and cutting those out of your life? What is influencing your family? What is shaping your home? There was a 
deal I read the other day. It said, don't ever trust anybody whose TV is bigger than their bookshelf. That's an, that's an interesting point. Because a lot of times, we like to play on our weaknesses and say, oh, I'm not much of a reader. Don't give me that. God wrote the Bible. Gave it to us in a language, on parchment, and said, take, eat. Feast on this. If you're not much of a reader, then by faith, read more. It will give God more glory. I love to read. When you've got two people side by side, one person doesn't love to read, is not a reader, but yet they strive hard after reading. And then you've got somebody like me who actually enjoys to read, and I would, over, I would, I would ignore a lot of work to read many times. It gives God more glory when that person understands and walks by faith and steps into just reading. Men, this is, this is your calling. No, we may not be great at leading family worship. No, we may not be good singers. I've made it a point to myself not to be the, the, the frozen chosen, the silent sitting in the back. I know I can't sing that good. It is not my gift from God, but I am called, as the Psalm 98 says, to make a joyful noise to the Lord, and I'm going to try and I'm going to sit there in front of a, a four-year-old that I finally trained to sit still and is now seven years old, and he's going to hear my voice. I'm not a quiet person. So if that boy doesn't hear me singing in church, it's because I'm failing as a father. And if he doesn't hear me sing at home, it's because I'm failing as a father. So how are you organizing your life? Whatever it is you don't do well, do it to the glory of God as best you can. For me, that's singing. I love reading. It's not as big of a challenge for me. Singing is more of a challenge. So, consider what your culture is like. People will try to shove you into cultures. Um, there are cultures that sit out there. Because um, I wear boots or because I might have a hat on, people may assume I'm a part of that culture. I'm trying to change that culture and shift that culture more towards Christ. It's interesting, cultures within cultures exist. Um, whatever culture God has put you in, be that influence there. Um, what does your family time look like? How are you fulfilling the cultural mandate? How are you fulfilling the cultural mandate? That's, that's an honest question just to ask tomorrow when you wake up. How am I going to fulfill the cultural mandate today? How, let's rephrase it. How am I going to be an influence for Christ on somebody around me? How am I going to change the societal norm? So if a culture is a set of societal norms, how am I going to go against the grain a little bit? Stream's running this way. Let me see if I can bump this way. Just a little bit. Kick that rudder to the side a little bit and shift and cut crossways of culture and try and change it for Christ. So that's the question you need to answer. How, how am I fulfilling the cultural mandate? What's the largest culture shaping tool? This, this is, so identify your enemies. Have you identified your enemy? Take a second and do that. Because that's, that's a big problem we have. Is First, we don't know we're in war. Second, we don't identify our enemies. Don't have to say anything. You know exactly, exactly what the problem is. The devil roams around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. The devil. Be on guard. 
your adversary, your enemy, the devil, roams around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, and he may suck you in for three hours watching TV or stupid videos or whatever it is. And if you don't think this is shaping everybody around you, you don't understand where the biggest culture-shaping tool is. It's the reason why it's not uncommon to see a herd of 20-something-year-olds all in a circle like this. It's because this is shaping culture. This is shaping what they are, what the societal norms are, how they behave. Be aware of who your enemy is. So, the command and the means about how Abraham was to bring about was to be a culture shaper. To set, to, to command, and I, I'm using that word on intentionally. The text says, command his children and his family after him in the ways of righteousness. So as men, I would say it starts first with us. It does not stay limited to us. This is a mandate for everybody, but responsibility starts here. Our job is to shape the culture of our homes. And in so doing, shape the culture of our neighborhood. And in so doing, shape the culture of our town, bigger city, county, state, and so forth. So, the means to do that, right here. Use the conduit that God has supplied. Any questions? Clarifications needed? Okay. Well, let's pray. Ask the Lord to grace.